is Dina Saunders-Green, and you're listening to Formally Fostered, brought to you by Green Pines Media. This is a podcast about foster care and children's mental health services, and sometimes the juvenile justice system, mainly because there's a lot of intersection between the three. We give emancipated youth and their allies a place to share their truth. Welcome to episode 11 of Formally Fostered. If you've been following us for a while, you know that we seemingly disappeared for a bit. We were still around, but we were picked up by an internet radio station called Icon Radio FM. That allowed us to share the interviews and play pop music. It also allowed us to play music or spoken word poetry featured by emancipated youth. Now, many of you know that I'm a social worker and all of this is new to me, but if that weren't complicated enough, I also went back to school for a second master's degree at USC just so I could learn how to help transitional age youth and their allies in a sustainable way. And that's a good thing. Needless to say, I jumped into way too many things and the podcast suffered, but we are back. Now, we don't have permission to play pop music here, so if you prefer that, Download the TuneIn app and search for Icon Radio FM or visit www.iconradio.fm. That way you can listen to Formally Fostered on the radio. That's on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We do, however, have permission to feature music and spoken word poetry created by independent artists, specifically artists who've had experience with foster care, children's mental health, or the juvenile justice system, and you'll hear those artists toward the end of the show. Also, if you are an artist with music or poetry, and you happen to have emancipated from one of those systems, send us a link to your work. You can find us at Green Pines Media on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and if it's a good fit, we'll promote it. Now, we have some flexibility here on the podcast, but just FYI, I'm not really keen on the F word, the N word, or content that's sexually explicit. So edit it to the best of your ability. Okay, so let's get started. This interview was first played on the radio show in August of 2018. So here we go. We'll be hearing from a single dad who just really inspires me. And not just because he's doing an incredible job of raising his two-year-old son, but because he's been through so much. And yet he uses his experiences to advocate for other people. He dabbled in some criminal activities at a very young age, and that would have fallen under the umbrella of the juvenile justice system. But he didn't stay there. He chose to just do something different with his life. And now he's an incredible advocate for current and former foster youth, as well as really anyone who wants to turn their life around. Right now, he's in the process of starting a transitional housing program for young men. So we are going to get started with me asking, um, what was your childhood like? Well, it consists of a lot of drugs and it consists of a lot of murder. I was introduced to that very, very early. Growing up in my neighborhood, um, it don't it don't take hard to get into anything and it don't take hard to be categorized as a gang member or anything. So I probably say at six I experienced my first death. A man was uh, murdered in my in my backyard and that was just my first everything. It just numbed me. 
from there find out a whole bunch of people we knew had did it and um from there i go back into the house and people were still selling what they what they were selling so it was really really hard i would often try to write but of course i was a little bit illiterate and whatnot but i just i just kept writing until i got it right music was it was somewhat of an escape route Elton John helped me through those nights, <laughs> and Isley helped me through those nights. Um, Anita Baker, back when she was with Chapter 8, helped me through those nights. Uh, and sometimes my dad he played the bass. You know, he, music, music, I, I would say. I feel like God used music to really shift my mind from the violence that was on the outside, because I didn't have to go outside to get involved in gangs, because my house was the spot, so everybody hung there. What so, do you mean by it was a spot? It was a spot to go hang where everybody say we in the hood really was hanging at my house. The guns were there, the drugs were there, the women were there, the temptation, just that you can think of. It was just a foul oasis. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just what it was. And it had a balance between God was like it was, but Crippen, Crippen was way more consistent than God was in my house. What was school like for you back then? School was boring, and I feel like... Uh, the school system have, have failed me tremendously. They didn't. They couldn't find innovative ways to really teach or find my interest or spark my interest on, on learning. I thank God for my dad because he took the very thing, music, and put my ABCs to a beat because he was a drummer as well. He put my math, everything to a beat. That's how I was able to catch on. I survived the fourth and fifth grade, but that teacher that gave up on me. In the third grade, um, like the school district used to try to come and see all the kids that can read. And um, he would hide me from the classroom. I had to sit under his desk. So I don't know if you caught that, because during the interview, I actually had to ask him to repeat what he said. This young man had an elementary school teacher who hid him under a desk when the district came to check on classrooms. And it gets worse. They would, uh, they would make fun of me. Sometimes he would join Everybody, when everybody can read, well, we know one person can't read, you know. He's like, man, you should just go under a desk. And I know he didn't tell me to go under a desk. Literally, I took it that way. He just got used to me going to that desk, and I would confine myself, and I'd be sitting between this man's legs. Sometimes he didn't know, sometimes he, he didn't know, and sometimes he just didn't care. That's, that's, what, that's what elementary was like for me. And that's, actually, this is probably the first time I ever really talked about that. It was foul. It made education just foul for me. It made me it, it made me not want to love myself. It made me not ever feel like I can go, you know, further in anything. Cause I, I felt all the ridicule, I felt all that at a young age, all that rejection of or you know, just, just feeling like you were worth nothing. You know what I mean? Nothingness. You know, that's 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 what that was. And it was crazy because my dad was getting surgery, he had cancer before he, they can even put him under anesthesia. He called my uncle and he was like Man, something going on. I feel it. Go up to the school. Go up to the school. And my uncle came up to the school, and I was under that desk. He just grabbed me. And he was just crying. Going Your home. uncle was? Mm-hmm. I didn't know what he was crying about, but I was numb. I was numb to everything after that. And I, I didn't care. So I don't even know where to start with this. I still get angry when I hear him talk about this experience and what this teacher did to him. We are so quick to label kids bad but how often do we ask why they're behaving the way they do? Or better yet, what happened to them? So this kid is eight years old. Um, what, two years before he witnesses a murder, 
and now his father is going through cancer treatments. Both of those things would likely make it a little bit difficult for him to concentrate on learning how to read. And instead of having a teacher who is just kind or who can empathize or who actually does his job, we have a teacher who's a bully and abusive. And what frustrates me is that you can do a Google search today and see that these things are still happening. And those are just the ones that someone actually happened to record. I could not imagine going to pick up my nephew from school and finding him under a teacher's desk. I'm sure that crying was the only thing his uncle could do. Anything else would have probably gotten him arrested or worse. And I just wanted to point something out to parents. You know what, our kids, they're not always gonna tell us what's happening with them. And I would just say to the best of your ability, please try to get involved. If you can, go to an open house or back to school night. Try to get to know their teachers. I know that's not always possible because we have jobs and tons of other things that pull us in all kinds of different directions. In this case, we had a father who's going through cancer treatments. He wasn't able to go to his kid's school, so he had a family member step up and go on his behalf. Guys, we were never meant to raise our kids in isolation. We need people we can trust to fill in those gaps. Thank goodness there are amazing teachers out there who not only do their jobs, but go above and beyond to make sure that our kids are having their needs met. I really got around some teachers that not only kept me accountable, that really gave a damn about me in high school, and I just was smashing. I killed Algebra 1 and killed Algebra 2 as well, okay. and uh, people were asking me for help, and that was something. I did not get A's until I was in my 11th grade year. I fought all junior high. I got to high school. I fought all, I fought all high school, but I can say that was the most I had ever been on top of my studies. I had aggression issues, and I was overweight. And I was being bullied, and a lot of times I just had limits. I had limits. I was getting bullied at church. I was getting. I felt like I was getting bullied at home. I was getting bullied in my neighborhood, and I would just have breaking points at school. And I just have amazing strength. And sometimes I throw a kid with it while he in because it's the desks we used to be able to slide out of. I pick a whole desk and throw him somewhere because I was I was being bullied. I was being bullied by teachers. You know what I'm saying like it was bad. It was real bad. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm a father now. Like, kids kids can be evil, but I know they didn't know no better. It only hurt when I knew adults that knew better would say these things to me. What changed in high school is I started to give a damn about myself. And that's something I didn't know. I didn't know I can do. Because I was I was battling with a lot of stuff after my, after my bro died. I felt like I was alone. I was just losing a lot of people. And I was just like, God, why is this happening to me? And prior to that, my uncle had got shot in the head. And we wasn't seeing eye to eye like that, but I knew he cared, you know what I'm saying? So I felt like I ain't had nobody. I didn't have my dad, and my dad was deteriorating in front of me, but me and bro didn't know it. Like, my, I can say, as a man now, me and my dad missed out on so much on each other because we was in perspective towards each other, and because I was in so much perspective towards him, I, I rejected his love. You would miss out getting to know me thinking that you knew me. So I can't help but feel a little convicted when he talks about perspective, mainly because I'm guilty. Logically, I know that our kids had experienced abuse and neglect and all of the trauma that goes along with that on top of emancipation. 
But can I tell you, I still struggle to see things from their perspective, especially when tensions and emotions were running high. I would have these selfish moments where I just wanted to prove to them that I knew what I was talking about. The reality is, it wasn't helpful. We all needed time to just see things from the other person's perspective. Once we were able to do that, our relationship improved big time. Okay, let's get back to our interview. I missed out on bro, so I feel like I didn't have him. And this whole little God thing people was talking about, I felt like it was BS. Because I'm like, what God? Kids is dying younger than me. What God? Tell me. Help me with that. I got to school, and I was just like, man, I don't, I don't want to be an idiot. I want, I, I, my thing was to escape, and I knew I needed to use my brain to do it. So I, I just pressed in. I had to be studious. I had to really get to a place where it's like, man, it's, it's now or never, bro. Because I got scared to say, well, you might end up being a second year senior. I'm like, hell no, nah, none of that. Whatever I need to do. So I had cut out a lot of hanging out with my homies. I cut out a lot of smoking. I cut out a lot of drinking. I started drinking like when I was like in the fifth grade. I cut it all out and uh, I was starting to get in a place where I wanted to just be a better a better man. You know what I'm saying? Knowing that my uncle had got his, his brains blown out, my reality's not too far from that. It can happen to him, it can happen to anybody. So I'm like, I can't lose this little brain that I got. So at least let me put something in it if it's going to be my ticket up out of here. Because either it's going to be football, it's going to be basketball, whatever the case may be. Injuries start to occur. I was more focused on game banging. So I screwed that off. So now all I got is my brain. And I was just like, I don't want to end up like my uncle. That was motivation. Basically, death motivated me. I got my dad dying in front of me. My uncle was brain dead. But he talking better than me and you right now. That's nothing but a God. You know what I'm saying? But death was just my reality. And I'm just like, I know I wasn't put here to just die. My mind prior to that, I just had lost my bro. So I'm just like, I got I, something got to give. Because I kept feeling like I just wanted to die. I just wanted to die. So I said, yo, God, if you if you real, man, speak. I still wasn't believing, but I needed to believe in something. Like, I, ha- I just had to. So at this point in the interview, we've talked a lot about loss and struggles and heartache. So I wanted to pick a topic that I thought would be a lot more upbeat, something more pleasant. So I asked them about graduating from high school. You know, it's Southern California. Yes, we have our caps and gowns, but we also have amusement parks and grad night celebrations and parties, right? Uh, Yeah, not so much. Here's what he had to say about grad night. The reason I remember grad night the way it was, tragically, I just had lost a friend who was murdered on the day of graduation. And he had warned me about people wanting to get me. So it was, a, it was a sucky grad night. I was cool. I graduated. Boom, I didn't get my diploma. Nobody got the diploma. And boom, he, he dies. So I'm just going to interject briefly just to let you know that no one in his graduating class received their high school diplomas because the school had lost their accreditation. I, I graduation was supposed to be the most happiest day ever. And it sucked. Well, I remember turning 21 and bawling. I was just crying because I knew everything that transpired beforehand and then getting to the age. Um, I'm probably like three, three years or four years into being saved, as we say. And uh, I was still going through some stuff and still getting in the shootouts. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't smoking, but violence was very much alive. 
my depression was very much alive. Uh, 21, I had my, you know, had my party, my first birthday party as an adult, and my dad was in the hospital, and I left a hole in my heart, and he was in there dying. I'm a, and I'm around my mother that I barely see like that, but I'm thankful that this woman brought me to this earth, and I didn't reject her, because there's more than one side to a story or two why you couldn't be there like that. And I ain't got a hell or heaven to put you in, but you here. So I was enjoying her, but you're a stranger to me. She probably met my met her grandbaby like twice. You know what I mean? He's two now. You know what I mean? But one thing I can say, I thank God that I was able to lead her to God. She got saved, then she got married, and then she moved to her hometown. So I, I had her for a minute, then I was able to give her, I had to give her away, but I had to give away something I didn't really have like that. So, yeah, I battle with it. I, I still got a betterment issues. I deal with it. I deal with it knowing that even when, when people leave, I know I got God, and it's not a cliche thing because it's only but a God that got me through the stuff that I never thought I'd get through. I just still deal with my depression. I just find ways to fight with it. It's not a prison. I realize that I have a mental prison that I'm, I confine myself to. Like, I'm the judge. I'm the jury. I'm the victim. I'm the suspect. All the power comes from knowing that it's you. So when you give power to certain things that have power over you, now if it kept me down like that, I must be one powerful dude. You know what I'm saying? So now that I know that, none can hold me. He spent some time talking about how depression and grief impacted his life, but how he doesn't feel trapped by them anymore. So of course I had to ask him, how did things change? And also, how did you go from not being interested in a God conversation to suddenly being open? Here's what he had to say. I was drunk and I was high and I stumbled into a gym for uh, honor students and they were getting encouraged by these bodybuilders and, you know, they was just in there breaking stuff and bending stuff and encouraging the kids to stay in school and go farther than that. I'm sitting on the bleachers and this dude was like, he couldn't talk about God, but I, I discerned that he was talking about God. Right, he's like, man, something. Whew, I don't even want to say this, but the powers that be just got me through some things. It put limitations on how powerful his testimony can be because I know he couldn't talk about God in his in his facility, and he he wanted to call up, but it was subliminally an altar call. I caught it. And he said, anybody that's going through any depression in here or anything like that, and he was he was talking to them to try to encourage them, but uh, he really wanted to say it, and I walked up to him, and I was like. I don't even put to be in here, bro. I was drunk. I was hurting. It's my senior year. I'm about to graduate, and I'm I'm still trying to shake off the the, the death of my brother, the, the stuff that's happening with my dad. Just and I was just tired, and I wanted to surrender. So the very school that brought me through hell, I was always fighting. I got stabbed at. I got shot at up there. I walked up to dude. Was like, I'm tired of living. Can you help me? I said, Man, I I need something different. He just hugged me. He said, I've been waiting on you. That's what happened. I said, God, I'm tired. I know you're real, and I'm tired of acting like you wasn't. I don't know if you're white. I don't know if you're black. But I feel something in here, and I don't want to not ever feel it again. So if you're going to take this pain or whatever I've been dealing with, bro, you can have it. Because it ain't doing nothing for me, and my anger make me weak. That's what happened. So I rendered my will. I had to be reminded of that. Because sometimes when you go through some stuff, you feel it. it make you forget who you are. And you get so caught up on where you've been in life that you can't give God the glory of where he brought you from. Because if you're constantly still dealing with that stuff, you never 
get through it. You just your mind will psych you out, your frontal lobe will psych you out and say you constantly going through something. And God like, all right, took you from that. You consumed by the struggle, that's all you're gonna project. And God like, damn, have I not? Have I not? <laughs> Then we spent some time talking about his desire to help others, specifically his interest in transitional housing. Here's what he had to say about that. I really want to help people to transition, period. Um, housing is just the, I would say the vehicle. I noticed when you're in a stable place, you're able to think stable. When you're moving around, your thoughts are moving around. And I, I watch a lot of people when they're homeless, their brain is just scattered. They're everywhere. Their brain is everywhere because they're everywhere. I know some brilliant people, but they cannot get nothing out because things are falling apart. And I watched my dad say, I got the transitional thing for my dad because this little home, like I'll never forget it, it's 2002. This dude woke me up five o'clock in the morning. Come on, food smelling good. I'm thinking we finna eat breakfast and we finna go feed the homeless. Nigga, why? Why the homeless? I'm sleepy. He said, man, I feel it. I feel it. I'm like, cool, you feel it. You know what I'm saying? Boy, get up. We got up, I got dressed. We made like, mm, probably like 20 plates of food that I thought was for me. And we was feeding these people. I'm like, what the hell is you, what is this? What is this? And it's this dude, my daddy was like, y'all need prayer? Y'all need prayer? He said, we need a shower, I'll get you a shower. But do y'all need prayer? And we were sitting around this this bonfire. I call it a bonfire because it was a bunch of buns around the fire. I'm like, what the hell is happening? Why am I out here? Dude had HIV. I didn't want him by me. Oblivious to a lot of stuff. I didn't want this man by me. My daddy prayed for this man. And he let this man come take a shower. He let everybody come here. I'm like, what the hell? I didn't want my bed. I didn't want none of that. What are you doing, bro? Y'all mean? That's why I didn't want to be a single father. Because if you do stuff like that, I, ain't, I didn't want to be none of that. Don't, that's what single fathers and stuff do. I'm good, bro. But he did more than just house them. He was teaching them life all over again. What blew my mind is they were like, hey, I got this little money that I have. Well, at least can I feed your baby? And they didn't have it. So it was just stuff like that. They're just like, man, if you just you ain't got to have all these certificates, you just haven't got to have a concern for people and that was something that was being built because I watched him do that I watched him do the group home thing and I watched him do the people that were homeless he did that that was 2002 he did that up to the time he died he served people and that's what I want to do you know what I'm saying get a place where you can you learn how to fill out an application properly learn how to get your kids you know what I mean you know learn these things <laughs> These things that you need, some of these tools. Learn how to cook. There's a lot of young men that I know that just don't know how to cook. And I was blessed to learn how to cook for my dad. You know, get these meals right and learn to put the right things in your body. Just so much. So I've just been looking for a place because I, I got the guys just looking for an apartment to put them in and, and give them some type of stability, some type of structure. Just help the next. Let's talk about your, your son a little bit. Man... That dude right there, he instantly came and he came at an interesting time in my life. I, I did not want to live. And it was a moment where he wasn't going to make it. And I was in a bad place with God. And I told him, I said, hey, man, don't take him like you took everybody else. But I said, man, if you let this brother live, I'll live my life for you again. I will make sure he knows you. And um, you let my baby come here. 
But when I saw this big head baby finally come out, <laughs> I was the first person he looked at. And I just lost my mind. <laughs> Been losing my mind ever since. <laughs> uh, you know, I just see you with him, and it's really, really amazing to see you guys together. Yeah. Make me, uh, make me want to live. Because it's, uh, it's just hard. <laughs> so, uh, I feel like I got a, a second chance. I mean, to just uh, not only be better, but live better for him so he can teach somebody else. Like my dad taught me. Because I remember my dad used to tell me, he was like, he said, I may, I may not get a redo, but I'm going to live till I die. And I gave you the tools by demonstration. And I try to live that to the best of my abilities with faults, with hangups. Because he, he used to always tell me, he's like, boy, don't get hung up on your hangups because Christ was hung up. And I wouldn't try to hear all that Christ stuff. But I did get that part about never getting hung up on your hangups. And sometimes I got to jump off that hook because um, I got to teach my baby not to jump up there either. Because I'm like, this is a horrible world and they'll come for you and you got to be ready. You got to be ready. And I watched I watched it come from my dad. I watched it. And, you know, it was hard being a believer when my baby came. It was hard because, you know, people fell in love with the search for God that I had put me on a pedestal and I didn't actually be on never I was always transparent and real about what I dealt with and what I deal with when my baby came I felt so much rejection from what we call the church because I disappointed a lot of people I didn't know I was inspiring or I, I helped but I had to let them people know just because I did what I did doesn't take a, take away from or add to who I am as a man of God like you're not perfect but you can always strive to be better than what you are that's just it and that's where I, that's how I live my life. As we started to wrap up, we talked a little bit about Green Pines Media and our desire to do social work in a different way, specifically our desire to focus on prevention. With that in mind, I was really curious about his thoughts on parenting classes. For example, how do you get people to show up to a parenting class without it being forced on them, especially when there's so much stigma around them? Now, typically, everyone's first response is, stop calling it a parenting class. But here's what else he had to say. Everybody is super parent in front of everybody. Everybody's a super parent for Instagram and all the other type of stuff, like a class that pinpoint the struggle of what it is to be a parent, starting with your mistakes. Because when you start off, this is how, this is how, I'm not, not listening to you. Starting off with your mistakes, which if you break down the word, mean mistakes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, just mistakes. Your mistakes. Break out mistakes because the standard is so set on us trying to be a better parent when it wasn't really set for us. It wasn't so, but we know what we should be. But they, we make the mistakes. People just don't mention the mistakes. So if you had a class on just being transparent about what I've been wrong about, I think that'll help. I, I, I do wrong. I do stuff wrong. This is new for me. I'm a two-year-old. I'm not going to get it right. When you got people that's been parents for so long, they never, ever get at you about, I did this wrong. It's all about what I did right. We have faced scrutiny, unknowing scrutiny of them. So it makes us be like, we got it. It puts up a defense mechanism of not wanting to hear your knowledge of what it is now because... You you get yeah, unhumbly stunting on me right now. You don't you may not know it, 
I can't see your your kids grown and right. and and doing dumb shit, doing dumb stuff. Why the adults? I have a kid, and I'm an adult. You see this? That's why you can speak on it. This young man is truly one of a kind, and I hope you enjoyed his story as much as I did. We are going to take a break to hear from our sponsor, and then when we come back, we'll go right into the newest single from Michael. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. My husband and I moved back home to Long Beach, California after over a decade of living away. We found a cute little cottage, we moved our things in, and even set up the patio to be the ultimate hangout spot. But little did we know, there was something lurking in the trees. The spiders. The minute the sun went down, they came from everywhere. I just figured we'd form a truce. They got the outside, we got the inside. Unfortunately, they didn't stick with the agreement. They started bringing some of their friends. So suddenly we had spiders and ants in the house. That's when I called Absolute Serenity Pest Control. I was looking for two things, great customer service and a local company right here in Long Beach that knew how to battle Long Beach pests. Milton, the owner, came out and took care of everything. We were so impressed that we signed up for the quarterly maintenance service because I don't like bugs. I want to keep them as far away from my house as I possibly can. So if you're in LA or Orange County and bugs, rodents, or bees are trying to take over your hangout spot or your business, call Absolute Serenity Pest Control at 562-208-3308 or you can visit them online at absoluteserenitypestcontrol.com. Reside. You know California Avenue, know them boys on high, where the pride like they 
set, macho, beef like taco, get a set, Pablo, I got, got flow, oi, bana, kill each other for nada, she got touched by her deal, so they call her the mala, everybody wanna take, she got the gun inside her, the devil set us up, it's like nobody gonna, so I'm stacking my bread, bana de dia, had to get clean, love on the Sister serving God, Santa Maria. Only thing they giving up is it all for the vida we be Uh, posted on the block like it's all day. Uh, yo tengo la puerta y las llaves. Uh, no me mira, mira como antes. Quiero boy, fuego, dime, fuego. Oye, para, oye, para. Boys, if we get it on, I walk outside like I'm a miracle. Yeah. Hey, day I walk outside with that espiritu. Yeah. Mama told me, don't you mess with that brujeria. No. Hit him in the corazón, little oracion, yeah. Then we hit the pupuseria, oi. I like my ice for a chata. We make the mood like bachata. That's how we do all the bantas. They look at me like no manches. I gotta clean with no manches. No falta, easy lo quieren lo mata. Wait, come around and no habla. Used to run and call me Mayate Love is always good for killing things Turn around and tell them Callate, callate Ella no ve la vuelta La crema no se es así La guerra, la guerra, la cosa Como te te mueven a ti El Salvador I got peace in El Salvador Ay chico, we ain't gotta die La muerte ya está vivo We like uh, Post it on the block like it's all day uh, Yo tengo la puerta y las llaves uh, No me mira, mira como Once again, that was Michael with his single Oi Bama. That's O Y E P A N A. It is currently available on iTunes, so buy it and gift it and support our youth. Thank you for listening to Formally Fostered. You can subscribe to us by going to Apple Podcasts or follow us on SoundCloud. Feel free to leave a comment or email us at info at greenpinesmedia.com. So until next time, have a good one.